It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hello and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host. I am your pal. I am the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. And we got a doozy for you today. In the wake of the 21-7 debacle in Seattle, the Vikings parted ways with offensive coordinator John Filippo. And don't worry, we are going to talk about that a ton. But it is also Wednesday, and in the Locked On Network, that means that it is Crossover Wednesday, and uh, we were lucky enough to get Travis Wingfield of Locked On Fins, the Dolphins iteration of this podcast, to come on. He's going to uh, give us a little interview later in the show. So I'm really excited to get started, but first, we have a lot to go over. So first, I want to actually follow up on some of the things that I talked about in yesterday's uh, recap show. For one, I talked a lot about the offensive line and pressure, and I just wanted to follow that up with a little bit of data. So Kirk Cousins was pressured on 25% of his dropbacks, which is really, really good. Uh, I would love to see the actual distribution of when those happened, because a lot of Kirk Cousins' pass attempts came in the fourth quarter after the game was out of hand and Seattle was only rushing three, and that kind of matters. Um, But overall, from like a player-to-player perspective, Tom Compton had a clean sheet. Uh, everybody had, I think, two pressures or less, except for Brian O'Neill, who gave up five. So the rookie kind of struggled. He has been playing through a little bit of an injury, so that is kind of understandable. Um, but Brian O'Neill has been kind of inconsistent and up and down. Uh, that said, he's a rookie, and he was supposed to be this big project. So I, I think he's still ahead of schedule, but I think it's worth just noting that, you know, Brian O'Neill has not exactly been this, like, world beater that I think... I am guilty of making him out to be sometimes. Also, following up on Holton Hill, uh, I praised his game pretty heavily in the uh, recap, and it turned out that in all the snaps that he played, he was only targeted six times. He only let up like 27 yards passing. He had a couple of pass breakups. Uh, So the data really, and, and his production, really backs up what I think we all kind of could see on TV that night. So moving on, I actually wanted to go over something that, uh, I'll link this in the show notes, but on Twitter, uh, the day before this show came out on Tuesday, uh, the coach's film came out for the game, and I was lucky enough to have a little bit of time to actually go over some of the short yardage woes. So there are nine short yardage failures that that, that we suffered over the course of the Seahawks game. And uh, if you go to my Twitter, again, I'll link the, the thread in the show notes so you can click right on it. You can actually look at the coach's film for all of those plays, and you can actually see kind of what happened. And was it the play calling, and was it doomed before the start? Um, I think probably for me the worst play design of all of those happened on, I think it was the second and two play, uh, second goal from the two play down uh, on the goal line in that series where they went they went four and out from the four-yard line. Uh, that play was a concept with uh, slants coming from the outside and then two slot receivers running like a kind of spot, like little hitch curl concept underneath it. So it was actually a vertical stretch, which is a very, very strange play call in the red zone uh, with, with where the field is very compressed. What a vertical stretch means is you're basically 
asking a defender to choose, do I go defend the deep guy or do I defend the shallow guy? If you put kind of two players in a defender's zone and have one deep and one shallow, he has to kind of pick his poison and you throw to the guy he doesn't pick. Well, that's a lot harder to pull off in the red zone where it's a lot more compressed and everything is, there's less space to work with. So you can't exactly make it so that the defender has to like commit to one or the other. When it's that compressed, he can just kind of like straddle the middle of them and be in, in uh, a space to take away both throws. And that's what happened on that play. The play was also called against cover two. And if you look at the alignment for uh, pre-snap for that play, you could see that it's cover two. You could see the two safeties deep. And if you just look at where the kind of corners are aligned and how they're spread out, you can kind of tell if it's man or zone, Uh, especially if you look at like the personnel, you know, do they have a linebacker on a running back if you've split the running back out wide or is there a cornerback out there that might help you decide, determine if it's man or zone. It's a really fun game to play. You should try to play it uh, while you watch the Vikings against the Dolphins this weekend. Um, So in this instance, you could totally tell that it was cover two. And if you look at the play design, that is a play design that does not beat cover two. So Kirk Cousins should have checked out of it. And if he didn't check out of it, either that means that the check also lost to cover two. Most coaches will put a a check into each play call. Basically something you'll you'll hear quarterbacks kind of yell, kill, 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 kill sometimes. And that means that there's a a backup play call. And they saw the alignment. They said, oh no, this play isn't going to work. Kill, kill, kill. Let's go with the backup play call. And that's what everybody says. So either Kirk Cousins declined to do that because he didn't read the, the defense correctly, or he didn't do that because the kill play, the check play, also lost to cover two. That would be a huge mistake on John Filippo's part. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. We probably never will because we're not in the room, but it's one of those two factors. And the last thing I wanted to talk about before we can put this Seahawks game into the history books forever uh, is one play that everybody's talking about quite a bit. It's the uh, the backwards lateral to Latavius Murray. Um, a, a buddy of mine... Matt Anderson, Manderson92 on Twitter, uh, go give him a follow. He was doing a little bit of film breakdown on this play. And as we were talking about it, I realized that, uh, you know, we, we all saw Adam Thielen open on that play on the broadcast. They showed that kind of end zone view. Um, and on the All-22, you can see that as well. But you can also see that the way that things timed out, if A, if Latavius Murray actually makes his block, this isn't an issue, right? Latavius Murray totally whiffed a block, and I don't think he's getting enough flack for it, to be honest. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there are about 20 quarterbacks in the league with a pocket presence to evade that, step to the left of the pocket, and hit that wide-open Thielen play. But Kirk Cousins just doesn't have that spatial awareness, that ability to step up and, and keep a play going even when it's been pressured. And I think that's something that is going to continue to annoy us for the next two years. It's something to keep an eye on for sure. So with all of that said, let's put the Seahawks game away. Let's never think about it again. Let's forget it ever happened. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk John Filippo. we're going to talk Kevin Stefanski, and we're going to break down this whole mess. See you guys soon. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home, but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy 
of putting a dish together yourself. I'm pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. And we're back. So we have a little bit of uh, news to cover. John Filippo. Uh, today, as I'm recording this, yesterday, as you're probably listening to it, was let go by the Minnesota Vikings in the wake of one of the worst offensive debacles we've seen. Uh, this obviously comes right after uh, we talked about yesterday on this show how the, the offensive debacle wasn't necessarily Filippo's fault. It was partially his fault, obviously. There, he had a huge role in it, and we talked about a lot of the things that we thought he was doing wrong, but... Ultimately, there was poor quarterback play. There were a few offensive line issues, even though the pressure numbers aren't exactly there. I, I still think that pressure showed up. You know, if, if you look at the thread that we talked about in the show notes uh, in the last segment, um, th- there still definitely was a pressure impact. There were other factors, uh, but that performance on the offensive side of the ball was unacceptable. It was inexcusable, and it's pretty clear that somebody had to go. John Filippo is the most logical option. And Mike Zimmer said as much in his press conference following the firing. He kind of said, you know, we had this sense of urgency. We felt like we had to get something going. Um, so so it makes sense, and, and it's a move that a lot of people saw coming. Personally, I don't think it's going to fix many of the problems because I think the problems go way beyond just the play's selection or the play design. I think there's some really inherently flawed things in the way that the offense is working together and I think it's going to take an entire offseason of reimagining and rethinking and a whole reinstall over training camp to really get it fixed but that's a little bit doom and gloom and we have an exciting new offensive coordinator to talk about so background on Kevin Stefanski his first NFL job was actually as an intern under Andy Reid and Brad Childress in Philadelphia and when uh and then he actually went to uh back to the college ranks uh, for a year. And then when Brad Childress was hired by Minnesota, uh, he must have liked Kevin Stefanski so much as an intern, he actually brought him to Minnesota to be on his proper staff. And from that point, Kevin Stefanski played the rat race. He was the assistant to the head coach at the time. He eventually worked his way up to a lot of the position coach ranks. He's coached the quarterbacks. He's coached the running backs. He's coached the tight ends. He has been intimately involved in all of these systems over the years. I mean, think back to the Vikings of 2006 when Kevin Stefanski joined the team. That was Brooks Bollinger. I think Brad Johnson was still on the team. That was a year before Traveris Jackson. That was a long, long time ago. And he has been with the organization ever since. Now, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of coaches with like above the line, I guess, as I'm going to call it, positions, you know, offensive coordinator, head coach, defensive coordinator, um, that's not a lot of experience. You know, having been in the league since 2004, most of these coaches have been in the league since the 80s. But in terms of just his intimate familiarity with the Vikings, and I don't know how much that even really counts for, since, you know, when he joined the team, nobody is even close to still on the team. Um, 
But in terms of his familiarity with the organization and the people that are here, he's going to be the kind of the veteran that's seen a lot of it. And he's seen all kinds of offensive schemes come through here. He's seen the West Coast Daryl Bevel stuff. He's seen, uh, you know, the Bill Musgrave bubble screen type thing. He's seen the North Turner Eric Coriel. Then he saw us return to the to the West Coast type type thing with a bunch of play action and a bunch of rollouts with with Pat Shermer, and then he actually saw John Filippo come in and, and work in the RPOs and, and these kind of like new fad offensive concepts. So Kevin Stefanski is not the kind of coach who is completely focused on one scheme. He's not going to pigeonhole the team into, you know, this is what we run. And I think that was kind of what got, got Norv Turner uh, to have so much difficulty here. He's not like Pat Shermer who only runs the West Coast. That's his whole thing, and it's the West Coast. Now, Pat Schirmer was successful. It's not like a knock on him. Um, but Kevin Stefanski has such a, a wide variety of experiences, not to mention an intimate familiarity with some of the Vikings that have been here a long time. You know, I, I think every time a new offensive coordinator comes, we talk about, oh, he's finally going to use Kyle Rudolph, right? He's finally going to give Kyle Rudolph the the lights out, you know, top five fantasy tight end season that we've been waiting for from him. And it never really comes to fruition. And I think part of it is because all of these guys are coming in from outside the organization and they're meeting Diggs and Thielen at the same time as they're meeting Rudolph, at the same time as they're meeting, you know, Latavius Murray and Dalvin Cook. Well, Kevin Stefanski has been here for longer than all of those guys. And that means that he has seen Kyle Rudolph since his rookie year and he has seen firsthand everything that Kyle Rudolph has done and at some points actually been his position coach. So if anybody is going to know exactly how he can test Kyle Rudolph and exactly what Kyle Rudolph is and is not capable of, it's going to be Kevin Stefanski. Personally, I'm really excited to see what he comes up with. Obviously, he can't exactly deviate too much. I would not expect the offense to look like this completely different unit. He is working with the same playbook. You, you can't, uh, in the NFL, really install an entirely new playbook or start running completely new concepts without a training camp to install them. You need to teach the players how to run all these plays. The players know the plays that they learned in training camp. And it's just, it takes too much work to change that. And you just don't get enough practices in the middle of a week. But what Stefanski can do is use those concepts differently. For example, there's a concept called mills. And all that is is the combination of like a deep in route, or sometimes it's called a dig from a slot receiver, and on the outside receiver, they run a post where they run deep and, and cut at a 45-degree angle inside towards the goalpost. That's why it's a post. So that is like a nice high-low stretch concept on a safety where the safety who is on that side of the field basically has to decide, okay, am I going to crash down and try to pick him off and, and make, make the quarterback run the dig or make the quarterback you know throw the dig and pick him off, or am I going to go take away the deep route on the post Either way, he's leaving one of those unguarded, and, and usually the quarterback will be able to pick which one. And the other kind of advantage of that concept is that the the quarterback can stare down that direction, and you don't actually know which receiver he's staring down, so it can really help with a quarterback that's not good at looking off of safeties. Now, we don't have that problem. It's not something that Kirk Cousins really struggles with at all, but it is interesting to talk about that concept just in the abstract. And that's a concept that the Vikings use a lot. And Kevin Stefanski might, you know, now he has the freedom to choose to use Mills more or use Mills less, depending on if we feel better about running deep concepts. We've now strung together two games with with pretty good protection. So maybe Kevin Stefanski will will feel a little bit more comfortable getting aggressive and, and encouraging Kirk Cousins to use that downfield ac accuracy that we were all so enamored with in the offseason. 
Um, and that's just one example of a concept that he might, you know, choose to dial up more or maybe choose to dial up less for his own reasons. I, I'm just really excited to see what a completely fresh, completely young and, and new mind will bring to an NFL offense. So can't wait to see. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have Travis Wingfield of Locked on Fins. And we're going we're gonna to talk about next Sunday's Vikings-Dolphins game and get to know that team a little bit before we really dive into that and do some other fun stuff on Thursday. See you guys soon. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, so real quick, uh, just a heads up about the audio quality in this upcoming interview. This was recorded on Travis's end, so my voice is going to suddenly sound a lot different. Don't be alarmed. Bear with me. Thank you guys so much for your patience on that. And uh, without further ado, here's Travis Wingfield. And we are back for Crossover Wednesday with Locked On Dolphins. Uh, Travis Wingfield is here with me. You can find him at Travis Wingfield NFL. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing good, man. Still, uh, still kind of buzzing off the euphoria from Sunday's crazy win. So things are great over here. Yeah, we definitely know what it's like to be buzzing off of a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Miami, Minneapolis, whatever uh, it is. I guess that M is a special letter or something. <laughs> there it is. It's, it just has to be alliteration. So uh, your team's coming to play my team this week. That's the thing that's happening. <laughs> Uh, so I just want to talk a little bit about the Dolphins because, you know, an AFC opponent, Vikings fans aren't going to be very familiar with it. So I, I just want to familiarize us with uh, the way the Dolphins play, the, their identity. So I, I want to start with the head coach. I know that Adam Gase has gotten a lot of flack, and now the, the Dolphins have put together a little momentum and maybe it's calmed down. But I know there's been, like, debates over whether or not Gase is the right guy for the Dolphins. Can you describe, like, just characterize what those debates have been like? Yeah, it's pretty funny, man, because this is such a results-based business that really the last thing you did is what sticks out in people's mind. And even though the Dolphins scored on a 69-yard four or three-lateral play touchdown to beat the Patriots, people are buzzing about him in a positive way now. And the guys are playing hard. The team's playing really hard. But he also has really gotten by with some lucky outcomes with some close games. So those arguments kind of go back to that. But also the fact that the offense hasn't been that good in his three years, and that was supposed to be his specialty. So really a lot of back and forth and a lot of jawing between Dolphins fans. So do you think like the people that support Adam Gase are, are saying actually no it's you know the offense is struggling because of Tannehill is, is he the one that has kind of like takes the blame for that side or like what's the general opinion of Tannehill and this is fifth sixth year? Uh, this is his seventh year now technically his oh, wow. sixth because he missed 2017 with an injury but I mean there it's the same thing it's it's completely split down the middle but then again, you go back to what Brian Tannehill has done under Adam Gaze. He's been an almost 100 rating passer. He's won 12 of his last 16 starts. So he's getting the job done. But it's really been more about how bad the offense has been in some key areas. Like the offensive line has always been bad for the Dolphins. And then Brock Osweiler, Jay Cutler were two guys that he kind of handpicked to back up Tannehill. And they were both abject failures. So it's a little bit of everything from all angles. And that's what football is, man. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, so... In just 2018, uh, you know, we, the Vikings have faced kind of more aggressive offenses that try to gash you deep and take shot plays and stuff, and then more conservative offenses that rely more on yards after the catch or run plays. Uh, what would you characterize the Dolphins as? Are they a more kind of aggressive balls-to-the-wall type defense, or is this something that 
they're happy with the safer pickups. As far as offense goes? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, (laughs) they are the epitome of the big play offense. They're a three-and-out machine with the big play sprinkled in. They actually lead the NFL with 14 passes of 20-plus more yards that went to the end zone for a touchdown. And that's without their two really top playmakers on offense and Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. So, a big play machine for sure. So, who's driving the big play machine now? Like, who's the the kind of secret weapon that's the the guy that if, if we walk away saying, all right, the Vikings lost, who is responsible for that on the Dolphins offense? Kenyon Drake. And he's not getting enough carries. I've been I've been bitching about it all year long on the podcast. He has nine touchdowns now on very limited work in both the passing and running game. So Kenyon Drake is the one that can burn you any any given play. Excellent. So moving on to the defense, uh, you know, we're all kind of familiar with Cam Wake. He's a superstar. He's been in the league for forever. But in terms of the pass rush, the, you know, the Vikings have had a ton of offensive line issues for since time itself began. Um, so who is, uh, is driving the, the pass rush and, and the run defense up on that front? Really, Other no, than Cam, Cam Wake, of course. Yeah, he's the one you point to, but really no one in general because the pass rush hasn't been that good this year, and we hoped Robert Quinn would do it, but he really hasn't, and there really hasn't been much interior pressure either. So basically, Wake with a little bit of Quinn and then a surprise cat blitz sometimes where a cornerback will come in off the edge and get a sack. So really, the pass rush hasn't been great on the exterior or the interior, but as far as run defense goes, it's been a very mixed bag. They're either really damn good or really damn bad, and that has to do with the linebackers because because Kiko Alonso, I mean, he gets a lot of big splash plays, and he played great on Sunday, but he's been really rough to watch at times this year. So Kiko Alonso and Rayquan McMillan, the two linebackers, you can really kind of you know expose them and run defense, also in coverage too, and that's who you want to attack on the Dolphins' defense. So kind of moving to the back of the, of the defensive uh, backfield, with the secondary is kind of budding and emerging We've seen a lot from Xavier and Howard, and I would love to just hear your perspective on what it's been like to watch him emerge. And who else in that secondary should we have to kind of worry about or try to, and who, who should we try to attack? if you're a a brand new offensive play caller. (laughs) Right. Such an interesting dynamic in this game. But you mentioned Xavier Howard. To me, he's one of the top three corners in the league, if not the very best right now. And he does it with three things. His instincts are terrific. He's very physical. And his ball skills are like a wide receiver. He can high point it and pluck it with the best of them. Has the most interceptions in the NFL this year with seven. So, But he did have a surgical little cleanup on his knee. So I'm not sure what his status is for Sunday. I I saw him at the facility last week, kind of limping around. So I was worried about that. But as far as other guys, rookie Mika Fitzpatrick has been everything we hoped he would be. He's played a little bit of everything, but right now he's playing outside corner. He did get beat a little bit on Sunday by Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman, but he'll be a guy to focus on there as well. As far as the guy to put the rabbit hat on, so to speak, it depends if Xavier Howard plays because without him, they have to usher in all these guys that are really backup players. And it's Tory McTire, Cornell Armstrong, Walt Aikens all got beat on Sunday at various times. But if, if uh, Xavier Howard does play, Bobby McCain's had some struggles this year in coverage, and he'd be the one to attack most likely. Very nice. Yeah, I really hope Xavier Howard plays because Stephon Diggs has always been one of the best contested catch receivers in the league. So that would be a matchup for the ages. I really hope we get to see that. Um, So just to wrap up here, I want you to give me your boldest, most irresponsible prediction for the game. It can be anything from a score to a specific player. Give me something completely insane. I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually have one that is batshit crazy because he hasn't done anything this year, but I've been seeing more involvement from him in terms of trying to create packages for him to get involved in the passing game, and that's rookie tight end Mike Gesicki, who has been 
absolutely terrible this year, both in the run game and the pass game. And pass pro has been all right, but he just, he's so lost mentally and physically that it seems like he just can't get anything going. But they've been trying to get him on that Y ISO detached piece off the boundary side of the formation. And I think Sunday they'll find him for a touchdown the first of his career. Love it. Hey, Travis, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. And with that, we are going to wrap up today's show. That was Travis Wingfield of Locked on Fins. You can find him at Wingfield NFL. I think I said his Twitter wrong in the interview. It's Wingfield NFL, not Travis Wingfield NFL. Uh, Sorry about that, Travis. Um, You can find me at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show at Locked on Vikings. Tomorrow, we are going to go a little bit deeper into the Fins, and we might do something a little more fun. I'm not quite sure yet. So I will see you all tomorrow. Thank you all for listening, and skull. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.